0: It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner.
1: Welcome into another edition of the Skinny Podcast. It's the Potpourri Edition, our weekly podcast. I'm Richard Skinner from Local12 and Local12.com with my man Rick Boring. We touch on local t- t- local subjects and topics, national topics, and occasionally get into a wacky topic or two. We'll see where that leads us. In today's podcast, we got a lot to get to from firings to leavings to teams that can't hit. To football, we've
0: got it all. But first, Skinny, you cannot be a sports podcast in 2019. If you're not talking about Game of Thrones, how much of Game of Thrones have you watched? There's your answer. As always, we're presented by Joseph Infinity of Cincinnati. Same here. And that was talking Game of Thrones. All right. (laughs) Red's top prospect, Nick Senzel. I can't believe
1: that they killed off
0: name a character uh, Jon Snow is he dead yet that's the only one I know don't know any of them there's also a guy named Ghost which is kind of our I brand I like
1: that too yeah. I hope Ghost didn't die I hope Ghost didn't die but if Ghost died Ghost didn't really die because you know what Ghost is you ghost can't ghost kill a him. Ghost can yeah, you him. can't kill, can't kill ghost. Him. all right here we go
0: I think we just figured out Game of Thrones I think, spoiler yep sorry spoiler. Ghost sorry. wins
1: yep Ghost wins sorry
0: Red's top prospect Nick Senzel made his debut last Friday. Since then, he's gone four for twenty at the plate with four hits, three homers, three RBIs, four walks, and six strikeouts while starting all five games in center field. Skinny, what do you make of Nick Senzel's first five games with the Reds?
1: Um, kind of what you thought a little bit. He's he's, he's never. I don't think he's ever going to be a pure average hitter. I don't think he's going to be a guy that's going to going to be a two or three hundred guy. But I do think he's got great plate discipline. I mean, the opposite field power, while he didn't crush either home run, the ones he hit uh, against the Giants on Monday, he, they do count as home runs, and they were both of the opposite field. Um, I think the more he matures and understands pitching, I think that power is going to even get better. I just think he's a very, very solid all-around offensive player, a, a, a slash line guy of, uh, I'll, I'll go even lower. at 285, 370-ish and 480 slugging percentage, so an OPS of the mid eights. You give me that for his career, I'm going to take it and run with it.
0: It feels a lot like, and I'm not comparing the two players, I'm not saying he's going to be as good as him or anything like that, but it feels a lot like he has the approach at the plate that everybody has wanted Joey Votto to have for so long because he is very disciplined, he takes a lot of pitches. At the same time, it never feels like he wants to take a walk, Right. whereas sometimes it feels like Joey would prefer the walk if he can get it. Sanzelle goes up there ready to smash anything that's within the zones he's looking for, and he swings aggressively.
1: And I, 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 but I do think he'll get more selective too, though. The, the more he sees major league pitching, the more he figures it out too. I think. It, I think his average just
0: going to get better.
1: Yeah, I don't. See, I just don't know if he's ever going to be an average hitter. I, do, I, Not just, like Todd, I, I don't. like no. I don't. I don't think he's the guy that's going to shorten his stroke with two strikes. That's the thing. I, I, he just doesn't seem like that, guy. and I'm okay with it. I mean, I Me too, today's I love baseball. It. You give me a guy that's like I said. You give me that. You give me that slash line. You're going to have a very productive guy. He runs the base as well. He's going to be, you know, he does that. He's going to score 100 runs, depending on where he hits in the lineup. If he hits in the, you know, the fifth, sixth hole. He's a ninety RBI guy. If he hits at the top of the lineup, he's a hundred and ten run scoring guy with seventy RBI. I I, I think he's just. I think you're going to see an all around solid offensive player.
0: But I love that combination of he does go up there and and have a, a disciplined approach yeah, for, at the players.
1: But occasionally swing at a first pitch strike because it's the one he's looking for, and, 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 and he, you can't you can't cheat him that way. And he
0: attacks the ball. He never he's not check swinging up there trying right. to foul one off to stay alive and and keeping it back going. He's going up there to jack it. He's fun to watch. His defense has been pretty impressive yeah, so far. Fine. He made a really nice catch going back on a ball the first night he played. Um, I was there for the two home run game the other Monday afternoon too, which was I'd mean, pretty fun to watch. He definitely has some pop in his bat. One of those was opposite field. Both of them were opposite yeah. field. But the one he really got jammed up and in on, and for him to still get sort of stay inside that ball and get it out get to right out the park, center yep. was was really cool to watch. So you combine that with the athleticism, the speed. I I think they've got something that could be special. There.
1: Yeah, and I I think you know the, the biggest part is once people get the book on him, and, and we've seen it before. Some guys come up and they tear it up, and you're thinking, man, this guy's gonna be the next Babe Ruth, and suddenly you look and he's terrible. He's never gonna be another. He's never gonna play again. I I, I just think for all the hype, I think you're seeing some of why the hype was there, and I just think I, I think. You know, he's gonna have to do the the whole when they adjust to you, you got to adjust to them thing. But I, I just like his approach at the plate, and I don't think he's gonna have to change much of that moving forward. I, I really like him. I think he's really skilled.
0: Yeah, and it felt like you know he comes up, they score all those runs in that game. They get up what eight nothing. Right. I think the it was game they, that had, they blew. They end up losing that game in extra innings. Um, but since then, it felt like maybe he was providing a little spark for the offense, and not just him yet, guys. Oh, like Dietrich, and, 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 until they face the great Mike Fires, and then they get no hit. I mean this. This team, the things that have happened to them over the course of the last week in terms of blowing leads. Uh, I mean, and...
1: the, the last five days, really since he came up, I'm going to pin it on Nick's. Maybe you know what? I'm, I wish they had never brought him up. Now, now that you say it, it's on, it's all Nick Senzel. They blew two leads. They have bees swarming the ballpark. They have a, a light delay. They have had two of the wackiest delays ever on back-to-back nights. A, Long a bee delay. delay and then the light delay. And you know what? Maybe they needed more lights turned on because they couldn't hit when the lights did come on last night.
0: I was ready to say Nick Senzel was giving this team some energy, but nope. Back the other way around,
1: he's completely screwed them up. Yep, you know what? We talked to ourselves out of like Nick Senzel. Send him
0: back down. Well, now they're going to be last in the National League Central. Oh wait, they already oh, are. Okay. Yeah, okay. Right. There's that. Skinny Reds closer Rizel Iglesias disagrees with the way he's been used so far this season. Iglesias currently has a career-worst 4.86 ERA and has already lost five games, the most by any reliever in baseball. Quote, you can see other of the other closers. They don't pitch in tie games, Iglesias told the Enquirer. I'm the only one who comes in tie games, and I've given up homers, and I'm losing some games. I feel really bad. I already have five losses, something that hasn't happened to anyone else in the big leagues. Five losses in the first month of ball? That shouldn't be like that. The way they're using me is horribly wrong, he continued. The closer comes in to finish the ball games. I've been coming in to tie games on the road. I get it. There are situations that the team needs me. It's really frustrating for me to come in a tie game and lose the game. Skinny, do you question the way David Bell and his staff have used Rizel Iglesias so far this season? Well,
1: let me just say this: when, when you propose doing this podcast with me, it's it's not what you propose, and, and you're not using me the right way. And I, this will probably be the last one I do because you just you're not utilizing me the right way.
0: There's no question about that.
1: <laughs> I mean, what what are you doing? What is this clown doing? Just honestly, shut up and get somebody out. Well, here's the great thing about baseball: I love. I, I need to know my role. You know what your role is? When you're called on to hit, go hit. When you're called on to pitch, go pitch. Get somebody out. You don't need to know your role, cat. Go get it done that's being said they told this dude they told him how they were going to use him not only did they
0: tell him he wanted it yes the, of the season he was talking all about no. how they're going to use me as the best closer in baseball i'm going to get more oh. opportunities oh
1: and by the way Friday night when he came in, he was protecting a one-run lead in the ninth to get a save. It wasn't a tie game until he allowed it to be a tie game because he gave up a solo home run with two outs.
0: Well, there's that. You know, I mean, the, the quote that really drives me crazy is the way he finishes his off. Yes. It's really frustrating for me to come in a tie game and lose the game. <laughs> it's frustrating for your teammates, Bob! <laughs> it's frustrating for your fans! You know what you could do? Get the guys out! Don't give up the lead! Here's what, here's what, here's
1: what he could be the way they're using him, honest to goodness. He could be a 15-win 25 save type guy because they are using him in tie game. Guess what happened happen in a tie game? You get them out, your team scores a run, you then hold them and who gets the W? You're you do! You get it! I mean, it, it, this may be one of the dumbest things I've seen a Cincinnati sports um, sports or Cincinnati athlete ever say. And there's been a lot of dumb things said by a lot of people over the years. This was
0: plain out and out dumb. It feels like it's going under the radar a little bit, right? Like, I know people have called it out, but I mean, I remember like, you know, Brandon Phillips didn't run a ball out, maybe said something stupid at a time or two, and it became a national it, right, incident. Right. I mean, this is, you're right. This is one of the dumbest things I've ever heard an athlete complain about. Well, I think two things here. I think people are very anti-David Bell right now. I, well, I, that I get helps. some of that. Yeah. that. That's
1: part of it. So this is just kind of the piling on of that. Um, and I think there's also an apathy about the baseball team. That, oh, so uh, just, I don't care. I, he can say, I don't care about them anymore. Until they win, I don't, I don't care what they say. I don't care what they do. I don't care. I don't really care to go. I think you see that. I think there's a general apathy. And I think you're right. I mean, something like this. People should have harped on and gone, just honestly shut up and get somebody out, dude.
0: I'm surprised people in Cincinnati, the way this town typically reacts to athletes, that they're not trying to get him out. That they're not running him out of town right now for talking like that. Because this is... I mean bananas to complain like this. You're, you're complaining about your team having trust in you and using you in the highest yes. leverage of situations.
1: And the fact that they told you they were going to do it and that you wanted to
0: do it. And every fan has been complaining about the fact that previous managers right. would not do this exact yes. thing. Correct. This is something we have been pining for. It's been talked about in this city for five years probably. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, going back to a Chapman, people were talking about, yes. you should be using your closer in more high leverage situations rather than just saves in the ninth inning. Correct. It's and a, now they do it and it's a huge problem.
1: Yeah. Look, I have some issues with David Bell's managing, not, not probably less than other people, but I do have some issues. I think there's some things that are fair to criticize. This isn't one of them from us or especially from this guy. It's literally, I'm giving you the ball. You're my best pitcher. Get somebody out. I, I wrote I wrote a piece criticizing him on local12.com. Um, and look, go to Sunday's game, right? Sunday's game is 4-4 in the ninth. Amir Garrett, in my opinion, should have stayed in the game. He's He's been lights out against everybody. Right-handers are only three for 23 against him. But I also wrote that I understand why David Bell decided to go Rizel Iglesias against Buster Posey. He wanted his what he thinks is his best pitcher, or at the very least his best relief pitcher, right. to go against the best Giants hitter. I get the I don't agree with it because Amir Garrett, all, the eyeball test for me said this this guy's dominant, yeah. and let's just let him finish this out. And the fact that the analytics will tell you that righties are three for twenty three against him, so you even have the analytics to back yourself up if the guy had gotten a hit off of him to say, listen. God, right? He's worth three for 23 against a guy. But I, I do... Look, I want to tell you that I understand why he made the move. Right. Razell, get him out. Instead, he bangs a double. Brandon Crawford bangs a home run. This is on you. Now, I think he will get things right. I can't explain why... Things are not going as well as they're uh, for him, why he's struggling so much. Because how about
0: maybe a lack of accountability? Maybe, maybe that's maybe, the issue.
1: But we've seen him be dominant at points this year, too. I mean, he, he, he went through a stretch of six outings where he struck out 15 guys in seven and two thirds innings. That's what high school guys do, right? I mean, 15 strikeouts in seven and two thirds innings, that's dominant, oh, man. Oh, his stuff is
0: electric. It is.
1: But yeah, how about holding yourself accountable, just looking, going, you know what? I got to fix whatever I got to fix. The thing I will tell you now, and I, I said this on the Sports Authority Sunday, I, I can't use not, and this was before these comments were even even made because these were made on Monday. I can't use him in a high leverage spot right now because I can't
0: trust him. I would agree. It will, and honestly, I'm all for. It. David Bell said he's still our guy. We've still got faith in him. I would be all for that if he doesn't make these ridiculous statements. But now it's like he's a mental midget. Correct. He just he Correct. doesn't understand his role. He's not ready for prime time of being a closer, being one of the top relief pitchers in baseball. You're right. I would have lost a lot of faith in him after the way he he handled.
1: This. Yeah, I mean, the, the, but the next thing I can do for him is, is hopefully my team has a seven to four lead in the ninth. And I try to get him an easy save to maybe get his mind right. But if it's a tie game or I'm protecting a one-run lead right now, I'm trusting Amir Garrett before I'm trusting Rizel Iglesias in a heartbeat.
0: Which, by the way, he has entered with the Reds ahead in nine games this season, and with the score tied in six others, he's got a six fourteen ERA in non-save situations, giving up ten hits in seven and a third innings, and a six thirty three slugging percentage. Uh, in save situations, he's posted a three eighty six ERA with seven hits in nine and a third innings, and a four eighty six slugging percentage. So it is better when he comes but, with but, a clean slate, but, but, but it's but not not, good. not by a
1: ton exactly. Yeah. So that's what I'm saying. I'm not sure I can trust him in a high leverage situation, no matter what it is, whether I'm protecting a one run lead. Whether it's a tie game, whether it's a bases loaded, and I'm trying to keep it at a one run deficit. I, I'm not sure I can trust. I, I I trust Amir Garrett right now. Before I would trust him, and I think that's about David Bell. That's where I'm going with this. If you have, if you don't want the ball in a tough spot, guy, that's fine. I'll use somebody else, and I'll use you in another spot. I know that you can look and go, wait a minute, you're paying him all this money. He, look, he's going to get eventually. He's going to fix this. Right. But I can't trust him until he does.
0: Yeah. And especially with this team, what do you got to lose? Correct. Find out who else has it in the bullpen.
1: Correct. I mean, Amir Garrett's pitched very, very well to the point where I've got to use him more.
0: I've always felt with Amir Garrett too. He just he was set back so much by playing Division One high major basketball for so much of his de- yeah. developmental years it, that it's like he still feels very raw to me for a very, guy of his age.
1: Very. I heard Jeff Brantley though talk about him, um, and I thought it was pretty intelligent. When Jeff talks pitching, Jeff's a great listen. Yeah. And he just said he said, listen, when he first came up here, I don't think he realized how good his stuff was. That he was almost trying to fool people too much, as opposed to saying, here's my stuff. Good luck hitting it. I mean, he throws a a plus fastball. That slider is ridiculous. And eventually you just go, you get more swings and misses. The confidence meter goes off and goes, wait a minute. They they can't hit my stuff. When I throw my stuff, they can't hit my stuff. And right now, you're seeing that. I, I... to me, I trust him right now more than I, I... Honestly, I trust him and Robert Stevenson, I think, more than I trust Rosella Iglesias right now. That says something.
0: Yeah, and the thing with Garrett, it feels like the guys with the height and the length, it always makes it a little bit more difficult. I always feel When they yeah. throw that hard, it makes it feel a little more dominant. I don't know if it's just coming at a different plane or different yeah, I mean, when they, yeah, you know, when what?
1: they, Well, I think when they extend, man, it feels like they're, they're, a their arm is like right on top of you, for goodness sakes. Yeah.
0: All right, let's switch gears here. A little Kentucky Derby action. Maximum Security became the first ever apparent winner to be disqualified at the Kentucky Derby be Saturday. Second place finisher Country House was awarded the Garland of Roses after a 30-minute replay review resulted in Maximum Security's disqualification for interference. Do you think ruling to disqualify Maximum Security was the right one?
1: Absolutely 100% the right one. And I know somebody who had a win bet on Maximum Security or somebody that was closing to a pick 5 or a pick 4 or even the pick 6. Is going to be screaming at me, and and I get it because you had some skin in the game. None of my horses were involved in this, so I had no skin in it. But just watching it as a a former employee of a racetrack, as a longtime horse racing fan, they made the absolute unequivocal right call, and it stuns me that that some in the industry and some are, Andrew Byer from the Washington Post is a long time, uh, long handicapper, longtime race rider, really respected. I love his work. I always have. Um, he even said, Yeah, it was a foul, but the best horse still won the race. I can't, that's not how this works. When a foul occurs, you have to call it as you saw it. I know a stewards inquiry was not put up. I've talked to people about this, and you can say, Well, wait, the stewards didn't think anything was wrong. It happens a lot. Sometimes they don't think anything was wrong or they don't see it initially so it, so
0: let, let's let's hit on yeah. that because i don't think everyone knows okay. exactly what the process yeah, okay. sort of is there the, the, when the, you the, think the, something might the, happen the
1: stewards watch the race and they watch it from different angles the one you get on tv or or whatever is usually the, the side view and right. you can't see but they get frontal view back view they get a bunch of different views up and obviously in the derby you even get an a, above view you get some extra, some extra camera and the
0: angles. steward was the lady in the red coat there's three stewards. B- basically the she's the head official. steward yeah she's the head yeah.
1: she's the head steward um and so they're looking for anything that they can construe as, as either dangerous riding um, or, a, or obstruction or a, or a foul. Um, so that's their job in a race. If they see something, they put up an inquiry. They do it on their own, which makes them say, hey, listen, we think something happened. We're going to go back and look on our own. Sometimes they don't see it. Sometimes they don't think it was maybe as egregious as, as they did the second time around. So if they don't think there was something happened, they let the race run out. And at that point then, a jockey or a trainer can claim an objection and that's what happened in this case the 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 two there's actually two objections one on the horse war of will that almost got knocked down um they claim that hey he came out a couple on us and, and fouled so at that point the stewards will talk to talk to the riders involved um talk to maybe some other people that were around it that saw it and and try to get their 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 opinion of it or their take on it and then again go back and look at the replay Once you looked at the replay and you looked at it multiple times, it's clear that maximum security veered out. Whether he did it because of the crowd noise, whether he did it because he jumped through a puddle, whether he did it because he got spooked by what it doesn't matter why he did it. He did it. Um sometimes sometimes there's dangerous riding well Sometimes a, a, a jockey will be whipping left-handed and the horse continues to veer to the right and it's almost like, wait a minute, dude, you're you're causing this. In this case, Louis Saez did did none of that. His horse bolted and I thought he did a great job to try to recover the horse back in. But again, it did not matter. He fouled war of will. Andrew Byer, well, I don't think Will was going to win. He f- finished eighth. Well, you can't predict that. He had some momentum going. And when horses' momentum stops, sometimes they just go, you know what? I'm done. You see, you, if, for those that maybe watch, you, you'll see a speed duel. And all of a sudden, one horse... About halfway into it, when he starts to back out of the speed duel, it's like, yeah, I'm done. I tried my best. I'm done. And they back all the way up. And the next time out, they may win a race. You're like, wait a minute. That horse just finished. Left. Well, he got to a point where he just, he, he, his his will was gone. He right. he got beaten down. So I can't tell you that War of Will wouldn't have gone on to win it. Neither can Andrew Byer. I can't tell you he, he wouldn't have won it. That, that maximum security wouldn't have still gone on to win the race. But the point being, there was a foul. And these people had to judge how much did it occur. And so... Then came the next argument, which is, well, Country House with the eventual winner. He wasn't involved, so how does he go up? It, they didn't foul him. It doesn't matter. They fouled War of Will, and they fouled, was it toddy or Hot Toddy or whatever the other, other horse. So when you foul those horses, you have to go be placed behind the ones you fouled. And the one was, what, Hot Toddy or toddy i I'm drawing a complete blank on the name of the horse. But anyway, yeah. that horse finished finished 16th. They had to place maxim or they had to place maximum security behind not only War of Will, which he fouled, but behind that one. And that's why in the end, maximum security was placed 17th. He wasn't taken down and placed second or third or fourth or fifth. He had to be placed behind the horses he fouled. That's just the way it goes, and I'm sorry for that. The, the, I think the biggest overriding point for those that are this is this is awful for horse racing. No, it's not because we're still talking about it on a Wednesday. Yeah. Okay?
0: I, 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 I actually agree. I, I do not think it's bad for horse I don't racing either. at all.
1: You know what would have been awful for horse racing? If somehow maximum security and war of will and Tyler Gaffley on war of will deserve so much credit for handling his horse, getting him so out of trouble. Yeah. That I'm just telling you, you almost had an absolute car wreck on your hands.
0: Catastrophe. And
1: at that point, then you would have had Sally Mae and little Susie who was watching and Uncle Fred even going, man, I can't watch this stuff. You would have had the sport set back maybe forever. Ever,
0: people continuously talk about horse racing dying, and I, I don't think that's true. For I don't one. think it's if true. If you've either. been to Keeneland any time yes. in the last few years, I do not think it's it, it, true. It's
1: always been. And look, I worked in the industry for three years. It's always been. Oh, it's all you got to get young people. That, look it is an old people game because they get to the discretionary part of their life with income. When you have money. Correct. It's all- and, and yeah, the young people will come now and they'll sit around and drink a beer and bet a couple bucks. Great. Because guess what? When the time comes when they're older and have discretionary money, they'll remember, hey, kind of had fun going to the track. I'm going to do it my retirement age. I'm Not not to the point where I'm an obs- I'm a compulsive gambler, but to the point where that's my enjoyment time. It's my discretionary money.
0: But degenerates don't leave. They correct. just become older degenerates with correct. more discretionary funds. That, that's correct. Yeah. So I, I do not think it's bad for horse racing. I think you're absolutely right. We are talking about it still? It is controversy. Any controversy is good. No question. It's a good storyline. And actually, you are right. Had they had it been just some like you feel like you are getting robbed or cheated, as some people seem to think initially, it's one thing. But if you watch that, I don't think there is any argument that the horse got screwed. Like yeah. they clearly went out and cut off these other horses hey, look, it almost caused a catastrophe.
1: I think Maximum Security was the best horse. I think the so best I. horse did win the race when they crossed the finish line but it doesn't matter. There was a foul
0: that occurred, man. Yeah, I mean, it's and it's not even close. Like, right. He, he veers out in front of him and then veers back towards yes. more horses, yes. which is double bad. I mean, yeah. like, you can't do either one of those things. So, um, yeah, I, I, I think... Does Country House feel like a deserving winner? No, he doesn't. I, I'll give you
1: all of that. I'll give you that, look, that horse stayed out of trouble. He, he kind of gets lucky that he's the one that clunks up for second. He was never going around maximum security. And I think they could have gone around another time and he was never going to go around. It does not matter. It doesn't matter. Look, I get those of you that are listening to this that, that don't follow horse racing closely and you don't, I get, but those in the industry that criticize this, shame on you shame on all of you for
0: believing that that's that is absolutely the the hot take contrarian situation there if you are in the industry right now in the media and you're taking the opposite side on this it is total hot take city you're just doing it to get clicks or listens or whatever you're
1: looking yeah do. i i look and that's the other part of of you know this is the kentucky derby and and you know you got to treat it different no you don't no you don't you have to treat it like you do anything else you just do and you know, and then I heard that that there's that they didn't like the trainer of of maximum security because of of what is perceived shadiness, and that's why this this had been Bob Baffert. They wouldn't have, they, yeah, they would have, yes, they would have. I am I am convinced that they would, it would not have mattered. It's Todd Pletcher, D. Wayne Lucas, Bob Baffert. Name all the supers. They were taking that horse down, and they should have. And look, I know two of those people personally. Um, they worked at Turfway Park. When I was there and worked there, they have high integrity, man. They they made the decision that they thought was best. Again, the point of it, you can disagree with that. That's fine. But don't think that they cheated anybody or that you got cheated. They made the decision they thought was best, and it really was the only decision they should have made and could have made.
0: I think they absolutely got it right. I also think with it being in the slop, in the mud, it was an exciting race. It was a fun race to watch. It was also probably hard to catch live all of what was going yes. on. oh my goodness. So that's where I sort of give them a pass on not doing the inquiry. And a lot of times in horse racing, they really don't go to the inquiry first. No, unless it's it, something has pretty be, egregious. It, it has to be something so egregious that it jumps off the page. Watching it live, I, as I watched
1: them turn for home, I saw the bump and I even out loud went, ooh, like that didn't look right. Well, we were both on
0: improbable. Yeah, the five correct. horse was kind of correct. caught behind all yeah, that he mess was, and yeah. inside a little bit and when the horse went out wide and probably had an opening and did yeah. shoot through and then, and then the horse veered right back, back, back in to, front yeah. and so that's where I was doing the same thing I was kind of like what just happened there I wasn't saying oh he's going to get disqualified but I, admittedly I was sort of noticing all the bumping that was going on in that yeah situation.
1: and again for, for Andrew Byer to say that, that War of Will finished eighth and that's why it doesn't matter I, again I can't tell you that he wouldn't have shot on by I don't know if he would have because the maximum security I, that's the, the, the part that's all also lost is how big of a race that horse ran on the front end in the slop, went really fast early, kind of slowed it down enough and, and was the best horse finish, in the lane yeah. I, It was because I threw him out. I didn't have him on any ticket. I didn't think that he could. I thought he'd get caught in a speed duel with somebody. I didn't think he could win from the front end. Uh, um, so just from a pure horse racing perspective, it was an impressive race. But it doesn't matter, man. He, fa- I've, I've been through both sides of this. I've gotten put up. I've gotten taken down on some tickets. I've screamed that I'll never play that track again because of it. And the next day, I wake up and go, you know what? That was they made the right call. They made the right
0: call. Yeah, and I thought the most sort of legitimate argument I had heard from people was that the stewards should have done the inquiry right away because then it takes out the, correct. the feeling of, oh, it went down to frame-by-frame frame replay where people start getting mad about that in every sport, not just yes, horse correct. racing. But again, I think that's people, not one, not understanding horse racing very well because that's pretty rare that a steward would do that. And two, when you go back and actually watch the race in all that slop, in all the mud, and the, all the horses were piled together and for that's, the whole and race. That's part of the, the derby there wasn't is, any separation. It,
1: it is a demolition derby. The other thing that's come out of this is do you have too many race, too many horses that, that run in the uh, derby? That should, you might cut, be. should you cut it back to fourteen? I think I've always thought you should. I've always thought there is too many. But normally, the jostling and the bumping comes at the start. It comes getting down and, the fir, to the first turn, and then they finally separate themselves. Yeah. That this, this occurred in a different part. This occurred in a part where really there was you know three to five horses involved. So if you had a fourteen horse field, you still would have had three to five horses involved. So yeah, yeah, I don't know if that's the answer or not.
0: It sucks because all of that made for a more exciting, more fun race but it also puts, sets you up to have, one, this situation with a disqualification potentially, but two, what could have been even worse, which is one of those horses go down that and would now have, you've got types of That would have been a, com, of cr- a complete calamity. Yeah, all right. Ske- speaking of calamities! Yeah, speaking of calamities, FC Cincinnati announced on Tuesday that had fired head coach Alan Koch. Koch was 2-7-2 so far in FC's, FCC's first season of MLS action. The team had scored a league-low eight goals through 11 games. After originally joining the team in December of 2016 as a director of scouting and analytics, Koch was promoted to head coach in February 2017. He had a 35-13-18 and record in USL regular season games, advancing the playoffs both seasons. This is a quote from Jeff Birding. He said, After a series of recent issues and a team culture that had deteriorated, we determined that it's time to make a change to return to a club-centered focus to the team. This decision is not driven by recent game results themselves, but rather the underpinnings that have led to those results. We have not come close to maximizing the talent we have in the dressing room this year, nor have we seen a foundation being built that will set us up for success this year and into next year. Do you think FC Cincinnati jumped the gun on firing Alan Koch?
1: No, because there's a couple. I mean, if you read the quotes from from one of the players, Fernando Adi, after the game on Saturday, and, and, and we put it up on the website with his quotes and kind of made that into a separate story. Um, and I had to go look and edit it. And when I read it, I went, "Oh my! That that that's that's a bad sign. That seems like there's a mutiny on the bounty, and we're damn close to it's players versus coach. And obviously, that had been building. So I don't. I I, I will say this: I, I don't. I can't tell you if there's enough talent in that dressing room or not. Dressing room. I, I do know this: you're an expansion team. And I know that Vegas and the NHL kind of set a different standard for expansion teams and what they did. But most times expansion teams get some scrap heap guys and you you, know, you may have a, a really quality player or two that's either on the backside of their career or maybe too young to be. Whatever. Expansion teams don't win. They don't. They just don't. Right. I, I, they just don't win. Um, maybe there is enough talent. We're going to find out, right? I mean, it's because you've decided that you have enough talent. Alan Koch had, had, had last week said that he didn't think he had enough talent. I think that was kind of the start of all of this, that it was him thinking that, look, you didn't give me enough good players here, man. I, I'm, I'm, winning. I'm trying to win games with this.
0: Yeah. Anytime a coach comes out and says, I can't win with these guys, yeah. you know things aren't great Correct. in the And then room.
1: the players come back and basically then pin it on the coach that he's not using us the not using us the right way, yeah. not putting us in the right spots to succeed. Um I guess we're gonna find out. I think the other part is. I'll give FC Cincinnati a little bit of credit for this. I do think it's a little – it feels a little early, but if there's mutiny on the bounty, you got to nip it in the bud and move move forward. I think they've done what other – we've wanted other teams in this city to do at times. Bingo. Which is, look, this guy ain't succeeding, and I ain't giving it any more time. I mean, if if you want to apply that principle, you could almost apply it to David Bell right now, although I do think there's a little apples-to-orange comparison yeah, there. Yeah, but it's different. How many years did we give Marvin Lewis? He's going to get it right. We're going to give him a new ride. He's going to get it right. He's going to get it right. He's going to get it right. Well, 16 years went by and he never got it right. The Reds, we're building, we're building, we're building. I I don't see it yet. I I do think this club's better, but I, I don't see the results yet. I think they've decided, listen, we're not getting to the point where we don't have fans coming to the ballpark, see the Reds. We're not going to get to the point where fans stop coming to the stadium, see the Bengals. We have a new stadium that we need to fill. I mean, if you let this fester, whatever, for the next two or three years, and you don't build a winner or a winning culture, or at least start to make some progress, I'm just telling you right now, those fans that you think you have in your back pocket, they're going to leave. They're not going to go because they're not going to pay the MLS price to go to make it a family fun Saturday like it was in the in the uh, in the other league. I, I, I get look perfect storm in the other league, family family friendly prices a younger demographic that could go to that, they could go to Nippert Stadium. All of it was perfect. The Reds sucking, all of it was perfect. All right now, you're in the big boy league. Now people care if you win. Yep. They may not care today because you're an expansion team and you really, I don't, not many people really get this at this point, but I think they've said, listen, fans, we're, we're, this is not working now and we're not going to let it fester. We're going to try to nip it in the bud because we know when our new stadium is, 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 is constructed, and we're going to ask you to come pay three times as much to come to our games. We're going to have a winner at that point. And so I do like the fact that they've decided, listen, we're not going to let this fester. We, we know where this can go. We're not going to let it go there.
0: I don't know if they made a, a reasonable, a logical, a good decision from a soccer standpoint and advancing their program into the future. However... I do know that they are trying to win the PR game here no in this doubt. city with this move, and it's and it's doing so. Uh, this is this is the right play in terms of what you're going to tell your fans the rest of this year. However, I also think from what I understand, and neither one of us are exactly the biggest soccer guys nope. in the world, but they had basically kind of let Alan Koch build this team in his image and went out and got some guys that he wanted originally, and now he says they didn't give him enough, but... They were playing to his system, to his style, whatever it is. And, again, I'm not smart enough to tell you exactly what all that means and, and what these guys I can know or this. can't do. They can't score a goal. They can't score a goal, but here's the other thing. You're going to go bring in another coach. Guess what he's probably going to have to do? Rebuild this roster in his image right. and to his system and doing what he wants to do. So you might be looking at a lost year. Who knows how but much I th- more than th- that?
1: Thing was, I think you were anyway. And I think if you felt like, listen, the coach doesn't respect the players. The players don't respect the coach. We can't let this continue knowing that, look, this is probably a lost year anyway, but we're not going to let this fester the way it is. We're going to nip it now. We're going to get, hopefully, a coach that's going to build this. Because, again, if you do this this year and you try to muddle through next year, and suddenly that stadium's on the horizon and you're not winning and you're at the bottom of the standings and suddenly you're going to ask your fan base to pay more money to come watch you, I hate to say, Look, fan, fans can only do... Fans are only going to get to the point of so much of... Well, this is fun because it's cheap and it's a cheap night out. And, and you know, look, it's a 90-minute game and I'm probably going to spend two hours of my night and I can I can enjoy it and it's an enjoyable experience. Eventually, if you care enough about the team to pay triple the, whatever it's going to be, you're going to care about what? Wins and losses yeah. or ties because they tie a lot in that league. But you're going to care about points. It, points yeah. yeah. You're going to care about either getting a point or three points. See, I know that, yep. as opposed to zero points. And the more zero points you get... The less fans are going to come. They're going to care about the wins.
0: Skinny, what's your favorite way to score goals in soccer? Set pieces. Set pieces. I figure. Yeah, yeah. Set pieces. Set I'm a big, I'm a big, big
1: corner kick guy. Yeah. Big corner kick you guy. Love set piece. Like direct kicks too. Direct kicks. You, you kind of bend it around. Look for the look for the rebound.
0: Yeah. Skinny UC announced that former football coach Brian Kelly and his 2009 football team, which appeared in the Sugar Bowl after an undefeated 12-0 regular season, will be inducted into the UC James P. Kelly Athletics Hall of Fame the weekend of October 18th and 19th. Kelly coached UC from 2006 to 2009, compiling a 34-6 record and leading the Bearcats to the 2008 Orange Bowl, the 2009 Sugar Bowl, and two Big East Conference championships. UC is creating a dual bobblehead of the game, winning Tony Pike to Armand Ben's 20-yard touchdown, which capped a come-from-behind win at Pittsburgh on December 5th, 2009. The dual bobblehead features Pike delivering the pass and bins in his iconic touchdown celebration pose, raising the football with an outstretched arm. The memento also includes an audio component, which will play the radio and TV calls of the TD pass from the voice of the Bearcats, Dan Horde, and ESPN Sean McDonough. Dan Hoard is also getting in, inducted in the yes, Hall of Fame with that team. How do you think Bearcat fans will react to Brian Kelly's return? All
1: right, first off, let me just tell you about a Tony Pike bobblehead. I can't believe they're going to get his big fat head. It's going to only get bigger right. now that they're making a bobblehead of well, it's him. it's perfect for a bobblehead, It right? is they perfect don't have to for a enlarge bobblehead. It. They Holy just do a regular size. I do a podcast with Tony. I love Tony, and I'm happy for him because, honestly, it is... It's the most iconic moment in UC football history, and I and one of the most iconic in the city. Y- y- yeah, moments. Sports period. Sports wise, yeah. A- agreed. I, I, look, I'm not. I, I went to Kentucky, so most everybody knows that, and they think I'm anti-UC, and I'm not. Um, I, I can still remember watching that game, and 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 just because I make fun of Tony, because I, I I try to do the old John Facenda voice of the snowflakes of flying when Pike <laughs> looked was outside. But no, it, it was an iconic moment. I'm glad they're celebrating it. Look. Ten years have passed. There was so much animosity, not just from fans when Brian Kelly left, the way he left, but the way he treated those players on the way out. And those players, Tony Pike included, hated Brian Kelly on the way out. And I get it. I don't think anybody begrudged him for you. are Not going to begrudge him for going to Notre Dame, right? That's yeah. stupid. But the way it it, it played itself out, and, That
0: you're going to bolt on us now, guy. And basically, what players, uh, some of the players have said happened was he told them the night before their senior banquet, their award right. ceremony, that I'm not going. I'm staying here. And then he never even communicates with them. Correct. The next day, right before the ceremony, he go. <laughs> They just It breaks online, right. and he doesn't show up. And then all these seniors get microphones and cameras stuck in their face. Say, or Not just seniors, but players, players on yeah, the team still, get microphones and cameras stuck in their disappointing face way saying, for what do your you want to say your, your coach? Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I get the animosity, but time heals everything, right? Does you know, it? I think it does. I, I think it's good that they're doing this. It sounds like the players are embracing Brian coming back to be a part of this. Because let's face it, Brian Kelly was a big part of that. His huge ego aside, dude's a good football coach. He did kill a kid on a, on a I, scissor I'm, lift. Let's
0: not forget he, did, he killed a kid. did kill, a kid, a, a, kid. Did kill
1: a, kid. a kid on a scissor lift. But the guy's a great football coach. I can't begrudge that part of it. it, it you know, his personal things aside, he's got a little Napoleon complex and all those things, and he's got a humongous ego. But the guy's a great football coach, and he did a lot in that time period for that football team. And I think it's great that UC is going to celebrate that moment. Celebrate the moment of Tony's play to Armand Binns, and bring Brian Kelly back. I think it's great that Brian Kelly. I mean, let's say Brian Kelly could also say, "Eh, I don't feel really good about that." No, thank you. You guys go do it on. your... No, I'm not coming back for that. I think it's. I, I, I think it's good for everybody. You don't. You don't seem to agree. You got kind of a look I, on your I, face. I
0: don't. I just. I couldn't take Brian Kelly back. I, I just couldn't and here's the thing it's not just how he left because I think he can kind of get over that a little bit like you said timing, but he's been a complete doucher since he left too like there's <laughs> nothing likable about the guy there's nothing he, likeable, he killed agree. a kid I, I, I mean I just think it's very easy to hate that guy once he left your team if I'm a UC fan I don't want him back and I'm booing him when he well, comes Okay, but the but, only reason I'm not is because of the guys that'll be out on that field correct. with him that right. you have the utmost respect for that play that we're talking about is iconic <laughs> so here's the thing when,
1: when you do announce um announce that to the fans that here's the 2009 team do you do it with here's the 2009 team and head coach Brian Kelly to let the booze come there or just let it kind of all go together so there's no booing
0: well are you going to announce them one by one no no, no I don't know I, no, I don't but I think you you would at least identify the head coach right oh, man I know if you do I think you, you got you got to be ready for it I think it'll be half and half to be honest with you I think if you announce his name individually, you'll get half and half. You'll get half cheers, half people booing him. Here's the thing I would say: if if you are pissed, maybe sixty forty,
1: if you are pissed about the way it transpired, you also have to, you also have to smile or at least thank what Brian Kelly did to to make that program into what it was, especially
0: in those back to back seasons, the Sugar Bowl and the in the and the Orange Bowl team. I mean, don't cry because it's <laughs> over. Smile because it happened.
1: Right. That's it. No, I mean, there, I think there's some truth to that.
0: We've turned into a college girls i know snapchat but
1: no i honestly i i, I think Instagram. there's some truth i think there's
0: some truth to that no yeah i think you're right i just I, I just think he's really unlikable i i if i'm a uc fan right now i've never once gotten to the point where yeah i like brian kelly again and so the fact that he's coming back even if it's to celebrate it's like I just, i'll celebrate all those guys i'd much rather just celebrate them without him that would be my personal opinion
1: Tony Pike with a bobblehead. I'm gonna have to listen to this from this egomaniac. It, right. Pike,
0: you ego maniac. Can we say the bobblehead is going to be really cool? I think it is. That too, moment actually. is iconic. The fact that it's going to play the audio calls with it is awesome, both from TV and from Dan Horde. That is very, very cool. However, you see setting up a website for this and doing a two-week reveal to announce that they were doing a bobblehead. Yeesh! <laughs> like their PR department just well, hasn't really figured this thing out yet. They've I, been, they've I been struggling. Want know, I want to
1: know if Pike carries the bobble carry the bobblehead with him, and if it, every time he goes into Augie's in Reading, which I still have to go to, I have to go to have a beer with him at Augie's in Reading because it just sounds like such a Reading place. Augie's, it's his place, it's my man's place. If he brings it in and just like puts it on the bar, and they give him a free first first drinks on the house just for just for showing off that bobblehead, if, or maybe they leave the bobblehead up in there, and every time he walks in, he just points up to it and goes, "That's me."
0: If I was Tony, I would bring it into every time. I did a podcast with you every time I went oh, into fifteen thirty and if, just set it right if, there on the desk. If he
1: brought it in for the podcast with me, I'd break it over his skull. Wow. Okay. Well <laughs> no, I hope that I, doesn't happen I, now no, because I, you'll be arrested. Honestly, I'm I'm, I'm happy for Tony, because look, hey, Tony should be in the Ring of Honor too. And that, that's a point of contention for him. He He's sh- not? No. In the Honor? No. That's a point of contention. So at least they're 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 doing this. What are they waiting for? I don't know.
0: A- who is in the Ring of Honor? People that people that aren't Tony Pike. I mean, Gino Goodoli, I would assume. Yes, he is. And then Tony Pike, right? I mean, who's next? There's some guys from back in the day. Can I say one thing Greg about that, that, that team, though, that we're talking Jim about? This O'Brien. Whole Jim O'Brien
1: actually did kick a game-winning Super
0: Bowl, in case you're wondering. Shout-out to Jim O'Brien. Shout-out to
1: Jim O'Brien, Mr. O'Brien's boy.
0: One guy I think that's kind of get, getting lost in all this, though, when we go back and talk about that era of UC football, Marty Gilliard was an absolute star yes, he was. during yeah. that time. Yes, and he really was. just an incredible personality in this city. I remember him being kind of the biggest guy on that team at the he time. Was. Though, the biggest personality, the guy that everyone, you know, wanted to take selfies with and everything else. And now it seems like when we talk about that era, we talk about Brian Kelly because of the controversy. And then we talk a lot about, Pike to Benz. Right. And then I think you get Isaiah Pede comes up. He gets brought up, I think, because of what's happened the to accident. him since. Yeah, because the accident. But you really don't hear about Marty Gilliard much when no. we talk about those teams anymore. Marty was really good, man. Yeah, he was awesome. I, just, I think it'll be cool to see him back yeah. there. and, and yeah, no, I, to love. He had such a special relationship with this city and fan base, yes. I think. No,
1: I, I like what they're doing. I think it's a good thing. I think time heals all wounds. I think you're right. You'll have a smattering of booze.
0: What you, what, I'll say 60-40 cheers to booze. What do you think? You think it'll depends be- on if they introduce
1: him individually, right? Correct. If they, if they just do the team. It'll be all cheers. I think it'll be 30 percent yay and seventy percent booze. Oh, I really so do. you
0: think it's worse than I do? Then. I really do. Okay. See, I think people go like half and half 60-40 in favor of him.
1: Yeah, yeah. I don't know, man. I will say this: the 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 UC football fan that's been through through thick and thin, and there's not a lot of them, but there's a chunk of them. I think they would hold animosity towards the way Brian Kelly handled that situation.
0: I totally agree. That's what I've been and saying still this whole hand. time. Yeah, I
1: I but I, I'll go back to I still think it's a
0: great thing that UC's doing this. I do. Okay. So Cincinnati learned this week that big man Nisier Brooks will indeed leave the program as he announced that he's transferring to Miami. Brooks averaged 8.1.6.3 rebounds and 1.5 blocks as a junior last season. This comes after Samari Curtis, senior high school's reigning Ohio Mr. Basketball, announced on Twitter last Thursday that he has reopened his recruitment after the University of Cincinnati granted his release from a national letter of intent. How worried should Cincinnati fans be about the first few weeks of John Brandon's tenure? I think you should be worried. I I get it. Uh, I... It, it, it's a little more.
1: The defections are a little more than what I thought they were going to be because I thought style of play that John could sell would would have guys more excited about being a part of that program. Well, um, so
0: far, who have they lost? Samari Som- Curtis, well, the recruit, yeah. and Niger Brooks, is the center.
1: Jaron Cumberland sounds very iffy at this stage. He's in so the yeah. draft still. Yeah. yeah. And sounds- I think
0: that's where it really flips from. That's
1: where the line's drawn,
0: right? Yeah, that's where you become, yes. okay, this thing is going to be really, really hard. Yes. It, 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 right it, away. It, it,
1: yeah, the Samari Curtis one was interesting to me. And I get, look, I get the dudes, um, dudes come for coaches. You're around this enough to know that guys come for coaches. Yeah. But he's not following Mick Cronin, I don't think, to UCLA, at least not yet, and it doesn't seem like that's what he's going to do. Um, I, I would think that if you're Samari Curtis, you, you would understand, and maybe you don't, that you're going to be playing in a more offensive-friendly system than what Mick Cronin was going to, to bring. And, and look, again, whatever relationship, maybe Mick and his staff built just a great relationship with Samari Curtis, and that's why Samari Curtis came. And when that relationship's gone, because the coach is gone, maybe that's the lone reason he was coming to play at the University of Cincinnati. Um it just feels like, man, we're in such a wild west of guys transferring and leaving, and it feels like it's just a constant circus anymore that even the slightest change in a program, the slightest, has guys flying off the handle. Oh, they recruited a guy ahead of me. Well, I'm leaving. Oh, they were, I'm leaving. Well, I, I guess I get some of that because you want to play. But, man, it just feels like it is literally connect the dots with dudes anymore. But, anyway, back to your initial question. I, I think it's fair to worry. I, I think John will get it done in the long run. You're one though, man. Who, boy? It may be a long one.
0: Yeah, I think. It, I think this year, if you are expecting to be a top 15 team, as some people had U.C. ranked coming out of the season, with everyone returning, right, they the did, other part, Yeah. they um, Yeah. Yeah, that's probably not going to happen. Um, and maybe with Jaron, you can still be a top twenty-five team or challenge for that. Um, but even with him, I think that was—I think it was always going to be somewhat tough. And you lose—you lose another starter in Isaiah Brooks. You, you lose—you
1: you don't have a recruiting class that's yours. You're right, like too late in the game for that. You can get a guy here or there, but you're, it's but not going to be your group. Probably
0: not a big-time contributor. Yeah, right, um, year one. At, I think the bigger thing for UC fans that they're probably starting to worry more about is the coaching staff. The lack of having. A coaching staff. Yeah,
1: what do you think is Ted? What's the deal there? I
0: think he's doing the right thing, personally. I think the worst thing you can do...
1: Don't you want eyeballs on the road at the time of the year? We're in in an evaluation period. But you only
0: got one. You only had one evaluation period this spring. It was in April and already came and gone. And it was going to be the week after he got the job. So if you weren't going to make a rush decision by then to get your guys in place... Then there's no rush now. Then there's no point in doing it now. And the worst thing he could do, in my opinion, is get guys who either aren't that good recruiters or aren't good with your players, aren't good, skill, whatever, go get the best coaches you can get now. Cause you've already waited past the evaluation period. I mean, this can't carry out another month or two, but you've got, Oh, I don't, and I don't think, and, it and will. I don't think it will, but you've got some time here to go ahead and make the right decision. I mean, people were worried because he didn't get the first guy that that's name got brought up. The, uh, Petaway guy from Alabama. Right. And it's like, that is not how these things work. Guys don't necessarily just leave their alma maters where they're making tons of money to come to the AAC to join you. Correct. I mean, that's just not that's not realistic. I think some UC fans' expectations are a little skewed on what type of assistant they're going to be bringing in. That doesn't mean it's a bad assistant. You want a young up-and-comer from a lower level to come to you in a lot of cases. That's going to do just fine. Um, heck, if John would have brought his entire staff over from NKU, I don't think it would have been the worst thing in the world. I think those guys can coach. I think they can recruit. So I don't think... That's as big of a concern as a lot of UC fans are making it out to be. But I do think for year one, the fact that Brooks is now gone, um, if Cumberland doesn't come back, you could be looking at a very difficult first year for John.
1: Let me ask you, though, for the fan, though, that sees Nysir Brooks leave on his own, that sees Samari Curtis reopen his recruitment, that sees that may – and Jaron's decision could have always been independent of the coaching thing, too. So we'll never – no matter what decision he makes, we'll still never know –
0: what, what that had to do with coaching what that had to right. do with
1: coaching but again i'll use brooks and samari curtis though because those are tangible things that have already happened the casual fan's going to look and go and i'm going to ask the question to you as a casual fan well what does that say about john brandon that those guys don't want to play for him
0: yeah i think i think that's a fair one um, with niger brooks i think it's a little bit of an interesting situation because he was a guy coming out of high school that no one really wanted at least not at this level um but that was Darren Savino who did all that recruiting, established that relationship with him. And then Darren Savino tried to get the UC job and didn't get it. Right. So the fact that Nizier didn't guy. stay at that point, right. it made guy. sense. It's Even if guy. he's not doing it because of John Brannan, he might just be doing it in support of Darren, Darren Savino. Savino. Sure. And granted, he didn't follow Darren Savino. He went to Miami. Right. But still, I, I think that definitely played a role.
1: Well, you, yeah, uh, the only way he was following Darren Savino would be to UCLA. And it could be that Mick is looking around going, There ain't no, no chance. No, that's my point. That, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah that Nizier's playing, playing at UCLA. Not, yeah, and, and I'm sure he, he understood that. So yeah. I would say Nijer developed into a serviceable big man. I mean, he did. Yeah. A serviceable eight and six is you know what you give me that in today's day and age from a five. I'm you know what I'm okay with that.
0: It's solid. It's
1: solid. But theoretically, exactly.
0: it's very very replaceable. It's not, a difference, replaceable. It's not yeah. a difference maker. Now the bigger, yes. the harder part to to replace is his shot blocking ability on the defensive end. But he also fouled
1: a lot. Was only on the floor for an average of twenty two. Well, and it was
0: also. Crucial in Mick's system to have that shot blocker back there. With John, it'd be nice. I don't think it's going to matter nearly as much. It's not going to be the end-all be-all that it was for Mick. So um, then with Samari Curtis, I think that's another interesting situation because Mick was the first high major coach to really get in there and recruit him hard. But if you remember, he never committed to UC the first time around. He committed to Xavier after that. Then he decommitted, wanted to go to Ohio State or Indiana. They never offered. Any committed to U C? This also sounds like a guy with commitment commitment issues. <laughs> uh, maybe, or or maybe he just it didn't work out the way he wanted to go. And then you have Xavier's coach leaves on you, so you okay, the door opened back up. Well, now UC's his coach left on you, so the door opened back up. You know, it's kind of more right. my situation hasn't worked out the way I wanted it to. So when the door opens, I'm gonna keep trying to get that situation right. To be honest with you, I think he would have been perfect for McCronin because he was a really tough sort of big bodied guard that can defend but that could also shoot and score a little yeah, bit.
1: Yeah, I mean, he was a high-level scorer on a very mediocre high school team, which that for those that don't know, that's hard to do. When you're probably the focal point of every buddy you play and you still put up the numbers he put up, now, he was a high-volume shooter, but still, that's that tells me that kid can score the ball.
0: But I also think his toughness and his style right. would have worked right. early for Cronin to give him that opportunity and the leash to become a scorer in a system. I don't know that some, I mean, he dropped a lot in the rankings over the last two years. He's up to like 130 ish, I think, in 24 7's newest rankings. So, uh, certainly a guy you'd like on your team, but I don't think he's the difference maker that a lot of UC fans felt he might be. So, uh, again, I don't think those things were necessarily tied to John Brandon should have been able to keep them and he wasn't able to. At the same time, I understand why fans are upset that they're not staying right, and right. and they they are going to be in some trouble this year, especially if Jaron yeah, Cumberland doesn't come back. You, which, you know,
1: you go five hundred or even below five hundred with a roster that's not your roster and has a bunch of turnover to it. Jaron Cumberland doesn't come back, it'll be see he shouldn't have been the guy. No, no, get, get me, talk to me in three years and then we'll figure out if he's the guy.
0: Yeah, and and here's the other thing. That's why I
1: love I love the Mick Cronin people early in his career where he took over. And you know, he took over. You couldn't have had it. You couldn't have handed a, a college basketball coach a worse roster than what he did. And I was still doing talk radio then, and there were a couple of guys that every time they'd lose a game oh, and they lost a lot because they were terrible and it was not his fault. And it was they were in the big east, which was a better big East. he t- told you he couldn't coach. He was like, no, dude, this has nothing to do with him. Give him give him the time to get his guys in there. And eventually what did they start doing? started winning because yeah. he finally got his guys in there. Come on.
0: But but this is the, the problem for UC fans, and, and maybe it's it's hard for UC fans because a lot of them are also Bengals and Reds fans, so you just feel like you're getting beat down right. year-round right. with some of this stuff. But And they pin probably so much of their hopes on UC being good because you know the other two aren't going to be the rest of the year. But like if they're doing the same thing to John that they did to Mick a year in because he's not winning— you're in the AAC. Like you can't act that way a yeah. year into a coach's
1: Mick Mick Cronin deserved tenure. five years of patience when he took the job. John doesn't deserve five years, but he deserves a couple years of patience. Just right. he deserves that.
0: I will say the fact that they are in the AAC should help ease yes. the blow here those first yeah. two years because it will be a little bit easier to be at least middle of the pack Correct. and contending Correct. right away, as opposed to the worst team in the conference. Yeah. So
1: that's what I, I, I do I, I pity the guy that takes over the first year for John Calipari when he's got a bunch of one-and-dunners and, and oh. you have to rebuild an entire
0: roster. Good luck. Well, now it's going to be two-and-dunners. P.J. Washington paved the point. way. That's a good point. The 2, two and done donors. is the new thing for you guys. I like it. Just watch. Skinny, Xavier's re- incoming recruiting class is now ranked 21st in the country and includes three four-star and two three-star prospects after 24-7 Sports' most recent final update to their 2019 rankings. Four of the five Musketeers moved up in the rankings with combo guard Kiki Tandy and center Deontay Miles seeing significant bumps. Tandy jumped 48 spots from 124 to seventy six while Miles jumped 121 other prospects from 255 to 134. Zach Fremantle checked in at 98, while Damir Bishop is now ranked 107. Daniel Ramsey rounds out the group at 157. The Musketeers have also added a face-up forward in Ohio grad transfer Jason Carter and a shooting guard in Western Michigan grad transfer Bryce Moore. Who do you think is most important out of the seven newcomers joining Xavier's team for the 2019-20 season?
1: I'll I'll go Tandy just because I think he can give them a different gear. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe that's just me seeing him too much as a, as a Kentucky guy. But I just think he can give them a different gear. Um, I love Deontay Miles I love because, and I think he's jumping, I'm going to call it the Jackson Hayes factor, right? Because Jackson Hayes was kind of a nobody who then was a little bit of a somebody to now, two years later, he's a freaking lottery pick. Same type of body. Just this long, gangly, arms and legs mess that wasn't really polished offensively. And I think, honestly, Deontay... As a high school senior was even more polished than Jackson was as a high school senior offensively. Um so I'm interested to see what kind of jump he takes. But for me it's Tandy. You're closer to it than I am, but my opinion would be just Tandy because I think he gives him a different gear. I think Jason Carter is a big piece just because of he's done it um at the Division I level. I can't say the highest division one level, but certainly at a very nice Division I level. And he hasn't just done it at nine and five. He's done it as a pretty high level score. I, I guess he would be the guy, but I don't even look at those guys as part of a recruiting class. I just look at them as add-ons, for lack of a better term. That's probably not fair, but he's probably the guy. Taney would be the second
0: guy to me. Yeah, but I, I threw in the grad transfer yeah, yeah, yeah. because I think yeah. it made the question interesting. Because well, it, it probably is one of the two guys you named. They, are, Carter, they, they, are,
1: they are part of the, the incoming group. I just don't ever feel like they're part of the
0: recruiting class. Right, right. And with, I mean, the interesting thing here is Xavier is in a situation where They have uh, four guys who played a lot last year. I mean, we're starters and played most of the minutes. Um, And then a fifth guy in Dontarius James. Who Oh, and Najee
1: Marshall's coming back, by the way.
0: Yeah, he's back. That helps. Shock. (laughs) Um, But Dontarius James is a guy that, you know, who knows what he'll give you this year, but you're not really factoring into your plan. So you've essentially got four guys who are pretty good and started playing pretty darn well by the end of the year. But you're once again completely overhauling the rest of your roster with seven new faces. And you're going to need... Well, three or four of them. One of them has to start. Right. Well, three or four
1: of them have to be part of the rotation, right? Right.
0: And then it's going to be basically your entire bench. Um, And maybe you can throw Dontarius James in that mix somewhere, but you can't be counting on him for much. So, I mean, this is really another very interesting season for Xavier, for Travis Steele and his staff, because... In a lot of ways, you are starting over again, and you are going to have a big learning curve again to get these guys back to where you were. The one different thing is you don't have a new coach and new staff to get used to and need to get guys bought in again. Uh, The other thing is you don't have the situation with the players figuring out their roles again, where it's like, well, maybe... Najee Marshall um, and Quentin Good and Paul Scruggs aren't ready to be the guys. I think, they, you, I think they look like they're ready to be the guys by the end of last
1: year. Yeah, as I said, I think you saw that develop over the last five or six weeks of the season. The guys kind of knew who they were and what they were supposed to do and how they were supposed to go about doing it. Um, and let's face it, some of the pieces just didn't fit. I mean, two of your best offensive players played the same spot. I mean, in, in Hankins and in Tyreek Jones, so that kind of became odd because you couldn't really play them together. Ryan Welch was a one-trick pony, and when the one trick wasn't working, there was it was worthless to have him on the floor for goodness sakes. You um, just had weird parts. I think I think these parts are. I think because Tandy can play point guard and he can probably play in some circumstances
0: two guard, right? Yeah, I mean, I think he'll honestly play more two guard starting out yeah, than because Qu- one. Yeah, because yeah, because you can play both.
1: I mean, yeah. last year you had to force Paul Scruggs to play the one when when uh when Quentin was off the floor. I don't think Paul's a one. I mean, you have to play somebody there, but I think yeah. T- I think Kiki can give you a little bit of infusion there when when you have to. I just I think these parts will fit better than last year's parts fit. And I think honestly, the talent level's better too. That's the other part of it.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think I, there's sort of two things here, right? One is that they definitely need some outside shooting from somewhere, and Kiki is one of the guys that could give you that Bryce Moore is another interesting right. name because he's that's what they're bringing him in for he and can, Carter Carter can, can do it well and I don't think Carter's going to be expected to be like a, a knockdown three-point guy but he, he can stretch it. you a little yes. bit at the four um, as opposed
1: he, to Ryan Wells, where the only thing you could literally do was stand him 22 feet from the basket and go hey if you eventually catch it out there in your open letter fly
0: right and the fun thing about Carter is he can drive you a little bit right. too and make some plays off the bounce a little bit so uh, I will go with Carter because the other thing about him that uh, this is what puts it over the top for me he is going to play almost all of his minutes at the four maybe some at the five but most of them at the four which means you can slide Najee Marshall to the three where he was clearly his best right. last year so you can keep Najee at the three instead of saying okay well we've got more guards than we do big so we're gonna have to slide Najee down to the four right. and play three guards with him to get our best lineup on the floor I think your best lineup will include Jason Carter and Tyreek Jones so you'll play Najee at the three and and that's why I think I would go with Jason Carter as most important. It gives you just
1: five legit scoring options, right? It gives you five legit scoring
0: options. That's the hope. Yeah, I mean, the, Jason Carter averaged like 16 points a game last year at Ohio. This isn't Ohio.
1: No, but I think I think that would translate to a guy that should be able to get you 11 or 12. You hope.
0: You hope. I mean, and, and granted, Ryan Welledge was a guy who scored a ton at San Jose State. But one, I think it's a little bit different basketball I think it's a there.
1: lot different basketball And there. two, just his,
0: is. the way he played was just sort of unique. It, it worked at the low major level. right? Jason Carter is a little bit more physically equipped equipped to handle big east basketball i
1: think yeah so. i would i would i would agree with that part of it
0: all right all right rick
1: uh nothing nothing wacky to end the day yeah no, we're, we're in a
0: little bit of a hole if you guys got wacky stuff any ghost like stories stuff. out there send us in we're we're a little bit of a wacky stuff deficit
1: yeah well um, maybe i'll come up with a wacky one for next week i'll see if i can come up with that please do and Game of Thrones is no more. Is it over? Is this it? Is it done?
0: Uh, No, we still, I think they're oh. on like episode five or something. So we'll, we'll probably re- dive back into Game of Thrones uh, next no, week no right here on the Skinny Podcast. You don't want to miss that.
1: For those of you that like it, good for you. Just don't drag me into your mix. Spoiler drag, alert. Just don't drag me into your mix, please. We, we don't, don't lo- want to give away spoilers. For the love of God. All right, for Rick Boring, I'm Richard Skinner. We'll be back next week. It's the Skinny Podcast, the Pope edition And as always, presented by Joseph Infinity of Cincinnati.